Travel is all about connection, even the food. When you eat something in a new place, not only are you connecting to the culture and the environment that you're in, but you're also connecting with the people that you share the meal with or the people who made that amazing food for you. In today's interview, we talk about a load of different topics, from how amazing Mexico City can be, to tips for avoiding scams, to eating delicious bowls of ramen abroad in Japan. No matter where you go or what you see, travel will make you connect more with other people and yourself. Let's get started. Welcome to the Nomadic Foodist Show, a podcast for food-obsessed travelers. My name is Chris, your host, and I help people find amazing food all around the world. Today's interview is with Cassie Kiefer. She is the author behind Secret San Jose and a new book coming out soon called San Jose Scavenger. And she is the blogger behind Ever in Transit, where she talks about her local adventures in San Jose, California as well as all of her delicious food and travel adventures around the world. I loved today's interview. Cassie and I discussed just so many different topics, and one of the things that I am very passionate about is getting more people to visit Mexico and really try to go to Mexico City. I just finished a trip up there and spent a month in Mexico City, and I was just blown away how amazing it was. And I didn't know this, but Cassie loves Mexico City. She has uh, visit Mexico on many different occasions and, and has traveled all around the country. So I picked her brain in a little bit, um, specifically too about scams, avoiding, um, you know, getting pickpocketed, as well as what it's like for the safety issues in Mexico City. But um, it's really cool how she expressed some of those issues and talked about what it was like to be a solo female traveler herself going to the city. And we jump around to a bunch of different topics from goodness, eating ramen in Japan to going to Italy and um, a lot of things in between there as well. So uh, this is a great interview that I think is for everyone. And uh, without further ado is my interview with Cassie, who is the author of Secret San Jose and the upcoming book, San Jose Scavenger. Cassie, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. I really appreciate it. Let's go ahead and start off with an introduction. Tell us about yourself, your writing, and what you're up to now. Yeah. Hi, Chris. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Uh, my name is Cassie Kiefer, and uh, I'm the author of uh, two books uh, about uh, two ba San Francisco Bay Area local travel books, uh, Secret San Jose, A Guide to the Weird, Wonderful, and Obscure, uh, and uh, San Jose Scavenger, uh, a book that comes out in just a couple of weeks. Um, I also run a global travel blog um, at uh, everintransit.com, uh, and uh, that uh, blog is about travel and uh, food adventures in California and around the world. Uh, my blog is currently inactive, uh, but uh, as I've been busy with other things uh, the last couple of years, uh, but I am hoping to start posting on it again soon and sharing uh, <laughs> uh, global, global travel stories as I get the chance to, uh, to travel more. Yeah, yeah. Do you have any plans for global travel here coming up now that COVID restrictions are kind of... Uh, letting up a little bit and it's a little bit easier to kind of get around? 
Sure. Well, um, you know, one of my recent uh, travel experiences um, was uh, going down to uh, visit a good friend. Uh, one of my best friends uh, moved at the beginning of the pandemic. <laughs> they bought a vacation home in uh, Baja, California, uh, down in Mexico. Um, and they've been uh, living uh, mostly full time uh, down there. Uh, so I went back to visit as soon as stuff felt relatively uh, open and safe uh, this last February. Uh, and uh, uh, spent a, a, a week or so down there. I'm looking forward to going down and uh, visiting uh, her again um, in the future and uh, doing other um, travel. I'm always, Mexico's my favorite country in the world. And uh, oh, really? I'm always okay. looking, yeah, I'm always looking for opportunities to go back there. So uh, yeah, so that's uh, the one thing. I don't have a, a trip planned uh, right now, but um, I'm looking forward to going back as soon as I can. Well, where would you go? If there's like a hit list of like, I got to go travel internationally soon, where would you go next? Um, in terms of, you know, I, I don't necessarily have the vacation time to go yeah. on a big, to plan on a, a big hypothetically, trip. Hypothetically, just... <laughs> like hypothetically, just like if you could dream a little bit, if you just like, if I of had, the, if I had the free time, because it sounds like you are very busy <laughs> writing, um, it's just yeah. something that you can, you know, I don't know, just if you had a chance to, where, where would you want to go? Yeah, well, t- uh, current top of my um, world travel bucket list is Vietnam. Uh, oh, I yeah. have always wanted to. Have you, have you been? Yeah, yeah. I spent a month in Vietnam oh, yeah. a few years ago. It was awesome. Wow. So I can tell you. Wonderful, yeah. wonderful, wonderful. <laughs> yeah, I'm dying. Uh, I'm dying to go to Vietnam and uh, experience, especially the food there. Uh, I am a vegetarian, um, and I've been been a vegetarian since I was a teenager. Uh, so that is something that influences a, a bit uh, on my interest in uh, travel to different places. And I know uh, Vietnam, as well as being a really beautiful, um, wonderful country, is uh, has a lot of. It's a very easy place to to travel as a vegetarian because there's so many. Uh, Buddhist, um, practicing Buddhists yep. uh, that mm-hmm. follow a vegetarian diet. Um, so you can find fully vegetarian uh, restaurants and, and options wherever you go. So, yeah, a lot of Southeast Asia, it really is a good spot if you're vegan vegetarian. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like uh, like Bangkok, I found had a lot of vegetarian options too, and and yeah. Vietnam was was really good. So I'm Wonderful. I'm excited for you to go one day. It, it's it's very fun. We were just in Hanoi in the northern part. Of okay. Vietnam, and then we spent a little bit of time in Hoi An in the middle. We didn't go down to uh, Saigon, Ho Chi Minh City. Okay, um, yeah, this it, time. It. it gives me a reason to go back. You know, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. There's so many places in the world that I, you know, went. I saw a little corner of it, uh, but um, but I want to go back. Um, mm. Japan, Japan is another of my favorite countries. Oh, yes. um, I've been a couple of times uh, uh, to um, sites on the main island of Honshu. Um, I would love to uh, go back and uh, do uh, a trip around the southern island uh, that we just kind of touched on. Uh, we actually did a a day trip on the on the Shinkansen, the high speed rail uh, down to uh, the city of Fukuoka, uh, which is kind of the home of ramen noodle soup. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it's really famous that that particular city is famous for their uh, tonkatsu uh, pork uh, ramen. Uh, my husband is not vegetarian. Uh, so we did a, a day trip down. <laughs> we traveled Good. 150 miles on the Shinkansen uh, from uh, Hiroshima uh, just for the day uh, to eat uh, soup in um Fukuoka, and uh, uh, he made himself absolutely sick on uh, three giant bowls of uh, ramen from different places. Uh, so. <laughs> but it was uh, super fun, and you know, I'd love to, to get back and explore um, that um, island, the kind of lesser traveled parts of Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I'm interested in uh, seeing more of that um, uh, part of the south of Japan, uh, as well as going up to uh, Hokkaido. 
uh, in the north, um, the, the northernmost uh, island of uh, Japan, and uh, exploring uh, that um, area a bit more. Yeah, yeah, me too. I've been to Tokyo, Kyoto, and Osaka. And Osaka mm-hmm. was probably my favorite as far as for food goes. I mean, Tokyo was great. Uh, I've heard that. Awesome. I've heard that. I actually haven't made it to uh, Osaka yet, but I heard, <laughs> uh, you know, it's really wonderful uh, for street food mm-hmm. um, and uh, different food <laughs> options, uh, as well as they say that I've heard from several people that uh, the people in Osaka are the most friendly and outgoing uh, of ah. anywhere in, in Japan. Um, I'm not sure what it is, but I had a friend in grad school who was from Osaka and that was yeah. how he always introduced himself. He's like, oh, I'm Japanese, but I'm from Osaka. So I'm, uh, I'm, uh... <laughs> yeah. so we smile, we smile a lot in Osaka. <laughs> and uh, I thought that was really wonderful. I've heard other people say that, but um, um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a place where people are super, super friendly. It, you know, they were, it's, I don't know. They're very welcoming to come into the restaurants. You're obviously a tourist if you go into any of the yeah. restaurants. You know, when sure. when when you travel to Japan, you obviously stand out. You know, and when I was going through, they're just so nice. You know, uh, and they have a very unique food culture. Um, yeah. and where they have a saying, and I can't, I can't remember what it is in Japanese, but translate to English as eating until like you you fall over. So it's like a big eating place. <laughs> Where it's like a thing, eat, eat, eat until you can't, you fall over and you wow. do it all again like the next day. So it's just one of those things that uh, that they do. Amazing. <laughs> love it. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> and real quick, I do want to touch on Mexico because my wife and I just spent a, a month in Mexico City before we came here to um, to Peru. So for you, why is Mexico one of your favorite countries? Um, I think because it is it is just so diverse in every city and every corner of the com- country that you go to um, feels very different. Um, it has very different landscapes and, um, you know, it, it's a huge country. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so the landscapes and um, the culture is is uh, pretty different. The language is spoken, you know, if you're, you're visiting some more indigenous uh, places like down in uh, in Oaxaca, uh, which is really, a, uh, mm-hmm. really a beautiful and uh, culturally uh, diverse uh, area down there uh, where, uh, you know, they're not just you know, one, uh, you know, other uh, t- you know, type of indigenous uh, community, but there's dozens of uh, languages um, that are spoken in that area in these tiny little towns uh, outside of the big cities. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I just think it's, re- it's really diverse um, and um, easy to travel to as an American. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's uh, close, easy to get to. Um, I do speak some Spanish, so uh, that helps. Uh, but, um, but yeah, uh, I, I, I think <laughs> yeah, people are, people are very friendly. They're helpful, uh, especially if you make any, a little effort uh, to speak, um, you know, even mm-hmm. the most basic, basic of Spanish, uh, people are very welcoming of that. And um, yeah, then people are going to help you out, um, whatever you need to do. So, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I totally agree. I found that the people in Mexico City, that's the only place we stayed. We didn't venture out too much. That's We'll go to other places on other trips, but Mexico City, the people were outrageously nice. I mean, I mean, I can't... Everywhere I went, see, people seem genuinely, I guess, kind. They seem genuinely excited, enthusiastic to see us, not just yeah. because we're going to restaurants, but if we need to help or anything, we're in a shop, we're trying to figure out what to say or talk through something... They were like super, super, super kind. I think even nicer, in my opinion, I'm sorry to say this, than Thailand, because Thailand has a reputation mm-hmm. of like, you know, the country of Being smiles. Friendly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> People are just so nice. But Mexico City, I don't know. I was very surprised and I ate super well. I think <laughs> just like Bangkok, 
And there's like street food on every single corner all around Bangkok. It's the same in Mexico City. You have all sorts of street food of every single type. And I've I've really haven't eaten much better, you know, in that many places than I did in Mexico City. So Oh, man. Yeah. And one, one of the things that I love about Mexico City is that um, that diversity of the country is on display there huh? because mm-hmm. people in mm-hmm. Mexico City have come from all over the country, um, from all, all the rural regions and all, all parts of the country. So the street food vendors uh, are selling things from, uh, you know, uh, you know, that are that are local to you know seafood dishes from Mazatlan and things like that. And, you know, from the Pacific Coast and, uh, you know, indigenous uh, dishes from the south and uh, Chiapas and uh, Oaxaca and uh, uh, those parts of um southern uh, parts of the country uh and uh yeah you can you can get everything <laughs> from yeah, everything from there um yeah it's it's a big big diverse city uh, but also really deeply represented um in in all of the native uh, uh food cultures of the country well it seems less exotic for americans at least to go to mexico city unless it's like to cancun or some of the beaches they there's very little i guess um incentive in the American mindset, at least to try anywhere else, because it's not as far. They'd rather go, of course, to, you know, Europe. And I had that mindset and it actually wasn't until this podcast where I interviewed, um, a solo female traveler named Rose. And she told me about Mexico city and how amazing it was. I'm like, okay, well you, you've, you've convinced me and I guess I have to go. And so (laughs) I did. Oh, awesome. That's great. And then, you know, it's just crazy. Our mindset of Americans sometimes is like, we want to travel like to Paris because that's like the quintessential kind of place with the Eiffel Tower. You go and travel and you experience it. But places like Montreal, for example, was one of the best food cities I've ever been to. It was just loaded to the brim of nonstop deliciousness. So, um, so how would you encourage more Mexican or excuse me, more Americans to travel to Mexico? Because I would love for more Americans to do that and just to go beyond the beaches. The beaches are nice for sure, but how do we get them more inland? What do yeah. you think? <laughs> Well, I do think that it's become a lot easier. Um, my last trip to Mexico City was, I think, 2018 or 20. No, yeah, it would have been the fall of 2018. Uh, and I do think Mexico City has become, or at least for folks from the Bay Area, I'm from the San Francisco Bay Area. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a, a community that has really strong connections to Mexico City. And there's a ton of American expats from the Bay um, that have moved down there as a cheaper place to, yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, to, to live, you know, a, you know, a close flight, a cheaper place to stay. Um, so I, I do, I felt a little bit of the gentrification and, you know, it has become easier of a place to travel. Um, it's definitely more expensive and in some communities than it was in the past. Um, I think that's, you know, you know, that's of course happening around the world in this um, current environment, but I mean, even in 20, in in 2019, I was seeing that Mm -hmm. though. So I do think that Mexico city, um, even if you're a first time traveler, a first time solo traveler, um, it's an easy place to do it. Um, you know, frankly, you know, the Roma and the Condesa uh, areas, uh, some yeah. more upscale uh, neighborhoods of Mexico City are very easy places to navigate and to get around uh, as, as as an American. Um, so yes. English is widely spoken. Uh, it feels like San Francisco when you're hopping into it, you know, in and out of coffee shops <laughs> and things like that. Like, yeah. uh, you know, a little too much. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I felt like uh, in some some places. But um, but yeah, I definitely think that it's an easy place. It's a wonderful, vibrant city with art, you know, amazing art. And, um, yeah, and, and, and history uh, of, uh, you know, and seeing the pyramids and uh, even right in the city, the um, I'm forgetting the name of the one that's right adjacent to the cathedral, uh, the excavation uh, mm-hmm. of 
uh, the pyramids that is right in the center um, off the Zocalo of, um, of Mexico City um, and buried uh, by the Spaniards. Yep. Um, it's really um, incredible to see um, uh, the deep uh, history and culture and learn learn about the the culture in this city. And um, I think it's an easy city to travel to. So yeah. if you're a city person, uh, definitely Mexico City, <laughs> uh, one, of, one of my favorite cities in the world. So what about the safety? I know um, mm-hmm. like I had concerns years ago and then uh, and I did my own research on it and then talking to Rose, like she asked about safety for sure. And a few other people I've had on my podcast, we've talked about Mexico in the safety issues like how would you concern like how would you address the concerns of people who are issue have issues with like their safety like oh there's drug cartels and i don't there's high murder rates i'm just really scared to go to mexico city sure um you know in fact the first time i visited mexico city which was maybe about 10 years ago now um that was something i I was visiting as a solo female female traveler on my own um and my mexican-american friends were were terrified they're like you can't go to mexico city like that's not safe you can't do that um uh but you know as i found in talking to people there and you know on on, on, you know later trips and um you know and and talking to more open-minded folks here Mm -hmm. um you know, Mexico City has really changed. Um, it's uh, not the kind of place that it was. You know, people are uh, working from a mindset uh, of, um, you know, Mexico City, you know, back in the 80s and 90s, I think, when uh, abductions and uh, kidnappings and you know, things like that were uh, uh, were more were more common. Um, you know, obviously, it's a big city and you have to be smart, just as you need to be smart visiting San Francisco uh, or visiting any American Correct. city. Yeah. Um, you know, don't don't do stupid things. Um, you know, one of the yeah, I mean, we got picked. My husband got pickpocketed. You know, I'm I'm a very experienced Mexico. I consider myself a very experienced Mexico traveler. And yeah. my husband on our last trip in 2019 uh, got pickpocketed um, oh. and had his his brand new phone stolen on the subway at rush hour. Oh, crap! You know, that's it's crowded. It was dumb. We were distracted by. We knew better. Uh, we were mm-hmm. distracted by trying to protect our. 10 year old DSLR camera. That's not worth anything. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> and he forgot, he forgot about the uh, brand new $700, uh, you know, phone that was in his pocket <laughs> in this effort yeah. to protect, uh, protect our stupid camera. But I mean, you know, mistakes like that are, you know, th- that can happen anywhere. That absolutely happens here in the Bay area on, uh, you know, yeah, pickpocketing, things like that. Phones can be replaced, mm-hmm. you know, just don't put yourself in a situation that, you know, when I'm traveling by myself uh, in a big city in the U S or around the world, um, you know, as a woman, I, you know, I'm not straying too far out of, uh, you know, really heavily touristed areas past dark. Um, I'm careful about where I'm going. Uh, you know, I try to meet up with other women in hostels. Um, I think that's my best, uh, bet. If you can, you can meet up with other, uh, solo female travelers, um, uh, you know, you know, hostels are great places to do that. Even if you get a private room and can, can meet up with another woman, um, uh, who's traveling by herself. And that's a way, um, I've made friends that way uh, that I, that I have to this day. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah, so, so that's, uh, wonderful. And, you know, that, uh, helps helps to keep you safe. But I, I really don't think there are any additional, uh, you know, security issues that you have to have to really think about uh, beyond, um, in big cities uh, here in the U S. Yeah. And I don't want to, I don't get too much deep into like this political topic for me, but me as like a man, I definitely have a distinct advantage and privilege when it comes to sure. travel. I know for sure, because I mean, my wife and I, we've, we've traveled all over the place and I, I know that I don't really run into any sort of trouble or situations that often, I mean, at all, really, aside from people, 
you know, trying to, you know, scam me a little bit, you know, that happens every now and then. But um, for, you know, solo female travelers, I'm sure it's a little bit, I guess, more of a uh, intimidating subject to really confront and to, I guess, come up with real solutions. And I'm glad that you said some of those things for people because, I don't know, Mexico City is a great place. And I think the entire time, at least I know I felt safe, my wife felt safe the whole time. We just, just like you said, we don't put ourselves in, you know, compromising situations. We don't do anything dumb, you know? And there are a lot of things that you can do um, that is, I guess, dumb as a tourist, you know, like leaving your bag just like on a chair next to you or totally, your totally. phone on a table where someone can just snatch it and run. That's anywhere, in fact. Absolutely. Yeah, of course. Being in, being inebriated, drunk, or you know, yeah. um, you know, other, otherwise uh, past dark, that's not something I recommend for anyone to do by themselves. Yeah. <laughs> if you're traveling by yourself, frankly, men, you know, men and mm-hmm. women, uh, you know, any, anyone can expose themselves to, to additional risk. Of, exactly. But if you're, if you're just smart and, you know, yeah, you're not putting yourself into situations that are um, excessively, you know, uh, oh. yeah, you'll be fine. Oh. Yeah. I know uh, when I was in Spain for the first time years ago, they said, you know, don't leave your phone on the table. Like I left my phone on the table and the waiter came by. No, 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 no. You got to put this in your pocket. I'm like, why? Like someone just come by and snatch it. I'm like, they'll just snatch your phone. And that was over in Europe, you know, in Barcelona, very, very well traveled by Americans and other people around the world. So it's just, it's no different in Mexico City. Exactly, exactly. I mean, I definitely feel that's the case. Uh, but but like I said before, like these are property crimes are a whole different matter than um, than real like safety and security, you know, so things that are putting your, your life at risk. Phones can be replaced. Yeah. You, you lose a phone, something gets stolen. That's it's not the end of the world. Um, you, know, you know, putting yourself into to real serious uh, jeopardy, bodily jeopardy, that's different. Yeah. Uh, but um, but yeah, I, I don't think that that's uh, that is a, a risk, um, you know, to any tourist place around the world, Barcelona, mm-hmm. you know, San Francisco, Mexico. Mexico city, uh, you know, pickpocketing is a risk. That's, you know, oh, yeah. but it's not, but it's not serious. I'll just do, you know, don't be stupid. Like my husband and I yeah, no, <laughs> and leave, uh, leave, leave your cell phone in your pocket uh, unattended yeah. while you're <laughs> protecting the, the back, the backpack with the worth, worthless uh, camera yeah. in it. So, <laughs> yeah. So is that what happened? You just, uh, I mean, I experienced a very, very crowded Metro trains in Mexico city. Yes. Um, so yeah. is that what happened? Was it crowded and you guys were just huddled around your bag and like, they just, yes somehow yeah. pickpocketed. I mean, <laughs> but yeah, that's exactly what happened. Yeah. We knew we were putting ourselves at pickpocketing risk when we, before we got onto the train, it was rush mm-hmm. hour. We were only, uh, you know, go, going on the subway for, I think two stops. So it was a mm-hmm. super quick trip. Uh, but we were so focused on the camera in the backpack that we, we moved the backpack around, you know, put mm-hmm. it, yeah. you know, he put it, he put it over his belly, put his arms around it. Yeah. So the bag can't be slashed. Uh... And the whole time I didn't even think that, uh, you know, that his phone would be in his front pocket. Um, so, I mean, it wasn't in his back pocket, like as yeah. it, it is in the U S more often it was done, you know, he was smarter to have it yeah. in his front pocket, but when you're packed into a subway, uh, with lots of other people. Um, there was actually a guy that was started uh, chatting me up and, um, you know, was asking, uh, you know, asking us questions about how we were liking Mexico and uh, where we had visited and things like that. He was making small talk and I thought it was, you know, totally friendly, but, um, you know, in, in retrospect now I'm thinking he was probably on the team and he was distracting us from thinking about, uh, thinking about the phone. So. Well, it happens to the Anyways, best of us, you know? Yeah, Absolutely. 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 Yeah. And it's, yeah. Didn't, uh, you know, it bummed us out. Uh, (laughs) We felt really, we felt really dumb, but, uh, but yeah, it absolutely didn't ruin uh, our perception of uh, Mexico city. I don't think it, you know, being pickpocketed should ruin anyone's perception. Just be smart. And uh, yeah, 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 generally stuff like this doesn't happen. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'll add in a few extra tips for people too, because if you do get pickpocketed, one of the things that I do, like my wife and I, because we go on these long trips, it's different if you have maybe a shorter vacation, but I still kind of recommend it, is you have like kind of two of all of your cards. You have, you know, you know, two, like two debit cards, one's in my name, one's in my wife's name, credit cards, one's in my name, one's in my wife's name, one that we carry with us and one that stays in the room. So you can cancel the cards really quickly, but you don't have to wait for the for the card company to try to overnight you, you know, and hopefully you get in time and they have to activate and hopefully it works. You already have a whole other set of things uh, that you can use for for money and stuff and not to carry more money than what you need for the day because it, it would be terrible to lose, you know, hundreds of dollars compared to just, you know, a couple hundred pesos, which is barely anything, you know, in American uh, U.S. dollars. So it happens, though. It happens. Getting, getting scammed or pickpocketed is one of those things where it happens to everyone eventually, I think. Totally. Totally. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, that's, that's a great tip. Another, you know, another tip I would recommend is uh, the first time you land in a, in a, in a country, uh, you know, having some cash, if possible, in the local currency, mm-hmm. um, it, you know, at least maybe $100, I'd say, um, in the local currency uh, can be a big help. Um, I've run into a couple of times where we're like, especially in recent years, where it's just become very easy to find an ATM. I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. whatever, I'll just go to an ATM and get out local currency uh, when we first arrive. Uh, but I've run into a couple, we've run into a couple instances where as soon as we arrive, it's late, you know, we need to get something to eat. Um, this happened in Japan um, on our first trip. We couldn't find an ATM that would work um, for some reason. I, I can't remember, you know, back at the time, there was some issue with the uh, uh, Japanese ATMs and only certain banks would accept um, American oh, yeah. uh, and in, international credit cards. That's right. Some of That's the big right. banks. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if that is as much of an issue now, but uh, but yeah, I wasn't familiar with that. And we were stopping into convenience store after convenience store mm-hmm. trying to find uh, an ATM that would work. And we couldn't find anything until somebody routed us to, I think, in a Chase bank, <laughs> like an international <laughs> Chase bank that we had to travel all the way across the city um, to, to get to, to get cash out. Um, we experienced that and uh, we had ATMs that weren't working uh, for some reason. I can't remember what the issue was um, when we first arrived uh, on Easter Island, um, which is a super oh, remote yeah. Uh, island uh, in, um, uh, you know, in the middle of nowhere, uh, we arrived really early in the morning and only had, I think, $40 in American cash. Mm-hmm. And um, Easter Island is a very expensive place. And after we realized that we weren't finding ATMs that were working for us, I can't remember what the issue was at that point. Um, but I don't think any of the banks were open yet. Um, so we, you know, we were just going to a few little uh, convenience stores and grocery stores. We couldn't find cash anywhere. Uh, and we wound up spending through, I think, our $40 uh, on a, <laughs> on Whoa, breakfast because, okay. you know, just at a little yeah. diner, like for coffee and, <laughs> you know, toast or something. It was really, because everything's so expensive um, on this remote island. Um, so um, we finally then, uh, you know, found an ATM that worked and we got more cash, but um, that was something that really scared us. <laughs> oh, wow. man, and yeah. we're like, oh, wow, we just blew through all of our American uh, cash uh, for breakfast and uh, we need to, we need to find money soon. So. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And one of the, I guess, silver linings to the world pandemic is that a lot of places have, like even small little places that I've traveled to have switched over to taking credit cards now. So it's nicer. I always carry cash though too. And street food people and stuff will always carry cash, like cash only. But it's nice that there's a lot more card options available. Um, But... (laughs) 
I've uh, I've been there before. Um, since we're kind of on the subject, I know we're planning on talking about this, but what are some other like mishaps or travel stories that that kind of happened that you weren't expecting? Maybe just a weird scan that happened, or maybe you lost something and you had to handle it a certain way. Um, I can't think of you know i've never otherwise been been scammed uh, beyond the, the oh, good, fact of being good. pickpocketed um there was another instance in mexico city where i came very close uh, to being uh to being uh, pickpocketed on a uh long um, intracity uh bus uh, mm-hmm. that i would that i was traveling on uh, i had fallen asleep i was traveling by myself i had my backpack under my feet uh-huh. Uh, so I, so I was covering, you know, it, it kind of between my legs, under my feet, uh, down uh, on the floor and, um, I was, uh, dozing off. Uh, I woke up and found the teenage boy, uh, sitting next to me, uh, kind of had his hand, uh, in my bag and was <gasps> rooting around in the bag. <laughs> oh goodness. <laughs> and I kind of just yelled, I kind of yelled at him. I was like, Oh, and I was like, who's going to go? I like, are you looking for something? <laughs> and he was totally caught off guard and, uh, and, <laughs> And didn't look at me uh, for the rest of the trip. <laughs> oh, I would imagine so. <laughs> like, oh my so, goodness, what are you doing? Exactly, uh, exactly. So yeah, so I caught him, but you know, but again, you know, it wasn't something that you know. I think you know, I wasn't personally in jeopardy, you know. But I, but I was dumb. I shouldn't probably shouldn't have been sleeping uh, without holding my bag between my arms. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so yeah. yeah. There's that. Yeah, I can't think of any other way. Yeah. Yeah. Here's an interesting one. Uh, when my wife and I were in Istanbul, because I'm pretty careful about scams and people talking to me and which ones, you know, are actually legitimate, which ones are they're trying to get me to buy something or if they're I'm a target for something. Because it happens, especially if you go in crowded tourist areas. It's always a thing. But in Turkey, this is the first I've ever seen this. And I was questioning it for years until recently. And I'll explain what it is. But we were walking on the Galata Bridge from one part of the city to the other. And there's there are people who do shoe shines. You know, they'll go up to you like, hey, you want your shoe shine? Yes, no, and they'll tell you the price, whatever. And so we we're walking behind one of the people who had a box for their shoe shine kit, and then they dropped their brush. So I picked up the brush, mm-hmm. I ran up to him like, hey, you, you you dropped your brush. Obviously, there's a language barrier, and I didn't understand him. He didn't understand me, but he we kind of talked. He said, like, thank you, I think. And then he got down on his knees and then he started to shine my shoes like oh no no I said no no that, that that's okay he goes like no no I'm gonna do it anyways and he starts shining my shoes he shines my wife's shoes and then <laughs> he asked for a large amount of money it was oh wow I Awful. think it was the equivalent of like 20 US dollars it was a huge amount of, of Turkish lira I'm like what? no I'm not like like no I'm not gonna give you I, so and then he starts yelling at me and we start walking away and so I'm like okay I gave him like five five us dollars worth of lira at the time and i'm like no, no that's fine he still starts yelling i said i'm gonna call the i'm gonna get the police and then he walks away yeah so, yeah it's fine absolutely oh my god yeah and then, <laughs> and then we were on tiktok my wife was on tiktok and someone exposed this as a scam that happens in turkey so i'm like what? Wow, so it was wow. a scam i didn't think <laughs> so it was a thing and i've never seen or heard about it when they purposely drop their brush so that someone can pick it up and they that's how they get your attention that was the first yeah. time I heard of that, so I, yeah so i've heard <laughs> similar things like that in other i've heard of similar things like that in other parts of the world in mexico one, one of the things that they do in various uh, places is uh you know people on the street will put something in your hand like a bracelet that a mm, little girl yep. um has has made like a little kid will come up and just put something in your hand 
and they want you to to take it and touch it and see it mm-hmm. um and then 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 they charge you for it because you know you you you, uh, you took it so uh yeah I, yeah definitely you know just be really careful you want to be polite but uh but yeah definitely you know <laughs> ask yep. how much yes. before you take how anything much? before you touch anything ask how much <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah totally yeah that's that's the thing you don't realize is you would think it would be cheap but then you yeah. don't ask how much it is and like, oh, it's like five times more than what I expected. But especially like food or drink or something like that, too. You always got to ask like how much it is beforehand. You're like, you get surprised. Yeah, well, that that's a great that brings up another story. This stuff isn't just restricted to the rest of the world. Um, that reminds me mm-hmm. of a time a million years ago um, when I was with uh, my sister and some girlfriends um, in uh, South Beach, uh, Miami. Yeah, um, we were on a trip to, to Miami. Uh, we were out at night um, on one of the you know the open air bars uh, on uh, along uh, the little paseo there uh, in South Beach, and uh, we saw a sign for two for one drinks, two for one drinks, and we're like, okay, oh. yeah, let's sit down and we, let's sit down. We got a got a drink, uh, you know, two for one, <laughs> and then we get the bill, and it was like sixty dollars. <laughs> Of course. Of course. <laughs> well, it's part of the okay, learning was, process. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So always ask, uh, you yep, know, whether ask. you, you know, wherever you are in the world, always ask. So, always that, ask. but like you said, that's a, that's a place. This is a tourist destination. So I'm yeah. um, just like uh, any other uh, big city. So. Yeah. And in those cases too, sometimes I don't always feel bad just because I am already a very, well-off, privileged uh, person who can travel and has money to travel. And these people generally don't have very much, so I don't feel too bad. I'm just more upset at the fact that I fell for it, not necessarily that they get my money, you know, uh, yeah. if that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah, no, 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 absolutely. That totally makes sense. Uh, it's great to acknowledge that, you know, the privilege that we have. Um, it does bother me when I see other tourists uh, nickel and diming. Mm-hmm. uh local local people around the world um there yeah. is something to be said for you know you have to recognize your privilege especially long-term mm-hmm. travelers um you know yeah. you you're budgeting you know you're living or long-term travelers expats you're budgeting a certain amount i totally get it you need you know money to uh, you know to live on a daily basis but uh that shouldn't be at the expense of local people um yeah um i i, I do remember uh, another story uh, that, that drove us nuts um one of the the people is around the world uh, traveler. When we were in the Galapagos, uh, we were we did a five day um, Galapagos uh, cru- cruise, and um, I remember one of the travelers uh, that was a you know long term uh, traveler uh, from England, I think, uh, who when we were sharing at the end of the trip uh, about how much money uh, she had left. Um, as the, the tip for it. It was a five-day mm-hmm. cruise and we, we had to tip of the staff at the end of the cruise yep. and uh, how much money she'd left in the envelope or something. Like it turned out she had left $10 or something <gasps> like insane. Uh, and, yeah. and she's like, oh, well, she's like, well, I need, I'm like, oh, I, I think that's a little low. That's much lower than what we left. Mm-hmm. I don't remember what it was, but uh, but uh, um, she's she's like, oh, well, I've, I've got a trip. I, you know, I, I need to be able to live on, on my, my trip for the next, or on my funds for the next six months. I'm like, these people, this is their living. This isn't yep. a joke. You're, you're yep. messing with people, people's livelihoods. This is how they pay their bills in a very expensive place uh, to be. This is how they raise their families. Um, but, you know, it's, you know, don't, don't mess around with people uh, like that. Um, understand the privilege yeah. that you have uh, traveling long-term even is a choice uh, that you're making. Um, and uh, don't, um, you know, don't jeopardize other people's um, living, you know, yeah. day-to-day lives because of it. 
I totally agree. If you, like, for example, too, what's really common is for you to order like delivery, but then you don't really tip very much. Yes. Like yes, that right exactly. there, especially in other countries. Yeah, but my, my wife and I are, um, for a while, you know, we've been Uber drivers. We'll work for six months and then we'll go travel for six months. And so we know what it's like to get stiffed or to deliver food and then, you know, not to get, you know, a tip, which is, which is, which is fine. And especially this past year, we know inflation has been high, but sometimes, goodness, I remember this, this is the one time I was actually very upset where these people ordered $120 worth of sushi in a very high end neighborhood in Denver. And we're delivering this food and there was like a Tesla and like another like really expensive you know, SUV in the driveway in a newly built, like super modern uh, home. And I didn't get a single tip. I was like, oh my goodness, you gotta be kidding me. <laughs> <laughs> that was one time I was a little upset, but I, I get it from for other people for the most part. And maybe tip a little... Maybe tip a little bit extra too. I think for people in other countries, especially when you have the favor when it comes to currency conversion, it's better to tip a little bit more. And I don't know, this is a more of a an overall life philosophy, but I think I think it comes around. You know, I don't. I, I, there's no proof for this. I don't have you know many examples, but for for the most part, if you're kind to others and you're overly generous, a lot of times that'll come back your way sometime or another in the future. And, that's what I'm hoping for, the goodness of humanity, at least. Totally, totally. Well, I, I will give you, you said you don't have numbers or stats on this, but I know for sure uh, that there is data on um, uh, here in the U.S. on uh, uh, giving uh, donations mm -hmm. to nonprofit organizations. Um, lower income people are much more generous uh, with their limited wealth uh, than mm -hmm. uh, very wealthy wealthy people. They give a huge amount of, uh, of uh, donations uh, sometimes to their church or to, to nonprofit organizations. But uh, working class uh, people uh, understand what it's like and they're, they're just much more generous than, uh, than rich people. There is yeah. legit data on that. So, yeah. Oh, wow. Well, goodness. <laughs> we could just got deep there for a second. Sorry. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> sorry, sorry. No, 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 it's good. But I think it's, it's an important issue and something to consider, you know, in being a responsible traveler, um, we're ambassadors, you know, around the world. Um, just, just be smart, see the, see the world, um, you know, travel, um, you know, stay, stay on your budget to your best of, the, of your ability, but uh, don't be a jerk about it. Yeah, I think that's true. You just want to leave that good impression. And yes. I know from my travels around the world, for some reason, a lot of Americans don't have a good reputation when it comes to these sort of areas and very popular places. So I try my best to be like a good American. I'm trying to leave my yeah. mark as much <laughs> as I can and leave a good impression for people. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Same. Well, uh, yeah, we talked about a lot of different things there, and I think it's good for travelers to understand their responsibilities and being a mm -hmm. good, kind traveler and how not to fall for scams. Just a little summary there for, for everybody listening. So that's good. Um, but I do want to transition now to more on like the food side, understanding food a little bit. And I, I feel like for myself and a lot of people that our love for food and travel can start off when we're young, whether it's we had a wide variety of food available or we didn't travel very much. So what was your childhood like and how did that influence you to travel a lot and write about it? Yeah. So, so the latter, <laughs> uh, my, uh, my, my up upbringing, I grew up on the East coast uh, of the U S and uh, moved around a lot uh, to different places, uh, mostly in rural upstate New York and Pennsylvania. Um, I was not a particularly adventurous eater growing up. Uh, my parents were not. Uh, so the food I was exposed to um, in the small towns that I grew up in uh, was uh, really limited. 
Um, and uh, we didn't get a chance to travel uh, really at all as a kid. Uh, my parents worked all the time. Uh, and uh, we've always thought of travel and vacations as something that rich people did. Uh, um, uh, yeah. So it wasn't something that I uh, that I got to do. Um, I moved a lot uh, as a kid. Uh, and I do credit uh, that with helping make me comfortable with travel and being in new environments, new places and meeting new people. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, it's something I like to share when uh, you know, I'm hearing about, you know, someone who whose parents stayed together for 20 years because even though they were unhappy because uh, they mm -hmm. didn't want to, you know, uproot the kids. I'm like uprooting the kids was a really good idea. <laughs> <laughs> it helps to create and you're, you're creating stronger people by doing it. Don't make your kids miserable by saying, you know. <laughs> anyways, that's an aside. Um, I th you know, so I think uh, moving a lot was uh, really positive for me. Um, I didn't really get exposed to any food. Um, interesting foods or you know, anything, um, yeah, unique foods uh, to myself and uh, cuisines of the world uh, until I was an adult and in college uh, where I had friends that um, introduced me uh, to, you know, took me out to uh, lots of restaurants, Mexican restaurants, uh, uh, sushi, uh, sushi in Japanese places, uh, Thai and uh, Indian restaurants for the first time. Uh, that, so that wasn't something that I really learned about until college. Um, so uh, but, you know, but then I, you know, I was addicted. I was, you know, hooked, <laughs> yeah. hooked on the food, food and, and food can be a, a portal to inspire you to, to travel really. So, um, yeah. So, you know, I, I do think, I, I still think to, to this day, uh, you know, the memories that I have of, uh, of travel, things that I ate, uh, in different places, uh, when I'm back home and I make mm -hmm. a recipe of something similar, I'm never going to be able to, to replicate it exactly as it was, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, in, in another part of the world. But um, just trying and thinking about those memories, um, that brings you back uh, to oh, those yeah. places. So, so yeah, it's, it's, yeah. So I find that very, very valuable. Uh, you can bring a little bit of those travel memories into your, to your day-to-day -day life. That's what's exciting about travel and food. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Was there like a certain like aha moment for you when it came to food and travel? Um, well, in terms of travel, I would say that my aha moment um, was getting the opportunity uh, to work at a youth hostel uh, down in Los Angeles uh, after I graduated from college. Um, immediately after I graduated from college in upstate New York, um, I head out on a road trip with one of my best friends. Um, we flew into San Diego. Uh, rented a car down there, uh, drove up the California coast all the way to San Francisco, um, and then headed inland uh, on a tour of uh, Western National Parks, um, you know, Death Valley, Grand Canyon, Yosemite, uh, and then back at the end through uh, Las Vegas and uh, into Los Angeles. Um, and at the end of the trip, um, this was this was the first trip where I'd ever stayed in a hostel, a low cost place to stay uh, in a dorm room uh, uh, where you meet people from all over the place. Um, uh, but uh, at the end of uh, that trip, uh, one night I was talking to a guy who worked at the hostel in Los Angeles. Um, and I said, hey, it would be really fun to work here. It seems like it would be really fun to work here. Do you like it? And he's like, yeah. And actually, I'm hiring. Oh. <laughs> Do you want to come work? Do you want to come work here? I'm like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I actually packed up just a couple of weeks later. I packed up my stuff in upstate New York and uh, started driving uh, out to California. Uh, where I lived and worked uh, at a hostel uh, for, I, I think, about two years um, down in Los Angeles. So, wow. 
yeah, that that time, uh, you know, that time at the hostel was a really influential uh, to me because I got to meet travelers from around the world and uh, people that were uh, traveling on a budget and uh, people that were not rich, uh, that were you know, working class or you know, grew up mm-hmm. in uh, you know, modest families uh, and uh, were still traveling uh, all over the place. Uh, and that was really inspiring to me. And uh, that started uh, my love of traveling and uh, uh, yeah. doing it any 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 chance that I I got. Um, I was like in my mid, my early twenties at that time, and I was like, oh, you know, I can go with, with friends or by myself. Uh, you know, just find where anywhere in the world mm-hmm. where I can find a cheap flight, um, and go there for a week or two, and uh, you know, stay in hostels for really, uh, really cheap, and uh, and explore. Uh, it doesn't take a huge budget uh, to be able to travel and see the world. Yeah, absolutely. People don't really quite realize that it doesn't take a lot of yeah. money. I yes. think it takes more time and more personal adventure to kind of do that because sometimes yes. if you don't have a lot of money, you have to compromise yeah. on a few things. Yes, of course, of course. <laughs> There's a lot more planning that goes into it. You know, you're, you're much more restricted yeah. in what you can and can't do. But um, but yeah, it's definitely uh, – that's part of the adventure. I, lo- I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I love piecing together a trip as I go. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I you know, we hear about people, you know, going – and I've got nothing against travel agents and especially for really busy people that have the means to, to do that and have a vacation pre-planned for them um that sounds awful to me (laughs) because i want to make those decisions and i want to do the research and i want uh, to dig into a guidebook and uh, look at articles online on blogs and reading reviews and i want to plan that stuff out myself and you know see other people's experiences before i decide what i want to do uh, so, you know, that's part of the fun of, uh, of planning any trip, the, the, the planning part uh, of a trip uh, and the anticipation um, for however many you know, weeks or months you have before you head out. That's part of the trip. Um, and um, that's part of the joy I get from travel. So planning and thinking and, and anticipating what I'm going to do and what I'm going to see. Yeah, I'm kind of the same way. I'm very much a type A kind of person. I love yeah. to plan. I like <laughs> to kind of have schedules in place. I've gotten a lot better over the past few years as far as maybe going with the flow. I've learned a few things like that to enjoy the moment more sometimes, but I still I'm so much more like I kind of want to know where I'm going to go and what to expect too. Yes. Um and exactly. that and that's okay. And that's okay. Uh, you know, you don't have to be a complete free spirit when you travel, <laughs> you know, and just wander aimlessly and you know, you know, happen onto things. For me, I like creating my own luck in that, in that way, I guess. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, yeah. And I think my husband has been a good uh, counterpart uh, to my uh, kind of controlling nature and my planner, uh, yeah. planner in me. Um, yeah. My husband is that very free-spirited person who just wants to, you know, let things happen and wander around and things like that. So um, I have learned from him uh, to be a little more open-minded and less structured. <laughs> yeah. uh, and what we do, uh, we, we always joke with each other that uh, what we do on any trip is we hop from place to place that I wanted to visit. Uh, or, you know, we, we hop from site to site, <laughs> Well, we connect, we connect our travels uh, with food, Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> with, with, with food or with food or beer. So we'll find like a yeah. restaurant or a brewery or some kind of experience, uh, some kind of you know, food experience uh, that we want to try. And uh, we piece the trips together uh, like that. So that kind of yeah. grounds us and gives us structure. And so we know if we're going into this part of the city, you know, to, to, to try this brewery or this, uh, this restaurant, uh, then we also should probably maybe go to this museum if it's something we want to do or visit this park uh, or you know, things like that. So we kind of piece our trip together 
together <laughs> between um, the meals. And uh, that's really, uh, yeah. my husband's like, that's really all I care about <laughs> is the, the good food, good food and drink. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, my it's funny because my wife is kind of the same way where she is the, the free spirit. She's kind of the go with the flow, loosey goosey. Uh-huh. I'm good with whatever. Let's just go and do stuff. I'm like, no, we got to exactly. figure out what we're going to do, <laughs> what to expect and why. That's just, yeah. it's, that's funny. Yeah. She's opened up my, my, uh, I guess, ability to adapt and to just go with the flow a little bit more too. So yes, um, exactly. She's made you more open-minded. So yes, that's great. Yes. <laughs> um, so at your time working at the youth hostel, is there, mm-hmm. are there any like memories from that, that you can remember that really impacted you or things that maybe shifted your memory or, or thoughts on things? <sighs> Nothing. I mean, I mean, it's just the people that I met, um, mm. the, the, the memories of, uh, the people that I, that I met, that I worked with. Uh, I had, uh, friends really to this day, uh, some of my best friends here in California, I had mentioned, uh, going to, uh, visit my friend, um, one of my best friends who, uh, lives in, uh, who bought a house in Mexico. Uh, I worked with her at the hostel at that time. Oh, cool. Uh, and, yeah. uh, it was such, so a couple of my best friends uh, here in California are people that I met during that time. Uh, I consider, uh, her family and, um, uh, you know, the, the, that community there in uh, the town of San, uh, San uh, Pedro, uh, they call right. it San Pedro, but, uh, but locals call it San Pedro yeah. <laughs> in the, in the South Bay of Los Angeles, uh, that community there, I consider that my California home. Uh, oh, because yeah. That's where I, that's where I became a Californian. And, um, so, uh, yeah, I've, I've stayed connected to people that I worked with there. Uh, you know, people around the world, I've got friends in Barcelona, um, and, uh, France and, uh, that I'm still connected with uh, to this day, um, that are folks that I either met at the hostel, uh, or, um, or who, who worked with me, who came, you know, uh, cause we had a you know, foreign exchange, uh, type program. Uh, so, uh, international, uh, travelers would come and work with us, uh, too. So, wow, uh, so yeah, it's, it's the friendship, the, the people, it's so much fun, uh, because yeah. the, just the shared, uh, hostels have changed. Um, you know, that was a long time ago. <laughs> uh, hostels are a little different now, um, since the onset of cell phones, uh, traveling before cell phones, uh, was a little more communal, uh, yeah. frankly. Um, uh, people are, you know, with, you know, the internet and, and cell phones have opened up, uh, you know, the, the world to people in a way that I, I don't regret, uh, but it has changed things a little bit. People are less connect or people are less open-minded to talking mm-hmm. to local people. I think yeah. when you're traveling, because you've got other people you're connected with, you're staying in touch with your friends, you're zooming people all around the world and you're, you know, you're still kind of doing stuff online like you would in any, anywhere else in the world. Um, working at the hostel, the, the funnest part was uh, hanging out in the evenings in the uh, communal kitchen where everyone would, oh, and actually the, here's the food connection uh, where people mm-hmm. would cook their meals um, and uh, sit together and eat in the communal kitchen. Um, I, you know, I, I think and hope uh, that that's still happening in hostels. I, I'm not staying in, you know, in dorm rooms anymore, uh, generally, yeah. when I'm away, I'm traveling with my husband. Uh, uh, but, um, but yeah, I, I'm hoping that uh, people are still uh, take sharing the love of food uh, and, uh, you know, community uh, with people as they travel um, and staying in hostels, because yeah. that's really the best, um, best part of being in a hostel is meeting people in that kitchen, being open-minded yeah. to uh, not just looking at your phone or talking to the partner you're traveling with, 
talking to the other people in the kitchen, asking them about where they're from, what are, where are you going? Um, you know, I, I loved having that conversation over and over and over again <laughs> and uh, meeting yeah. people from around the world and find out uh, where they're from and what they're doing. Um, so um, yeah, just, I would recommend uh, people who will still look for opportunities to do that. Talk to other travelers uh, talk to locals uh, when you're out and about, but um yeah, I, I feel like I missed out. When I was old enough to travel on my own, I really did think, this is no exaggeration, I really did think just like the mindset of travel and vacations and being abroad was for the rich people and we didn't have a lot of money and I didn't think it was possible. Um, it wasn't until I uh, I read the book 4-Hour Workweek by Tim uh-huh. Ferriss. And I'm like, Yeah, hey, that inspired a lot of travelers. <laughs> oh, I'm like, you got to be freaking kidding me. Like – it blew my mind. I'm like, you can just travel. You don't have to wait until you're 63 years old to retire and and then go travel. <laughs> you can you can do that now. And so that's actually what my wife and I are doing now. It's like these old mini retirements, like the book calls it. We're just like, you know, working in a concentrated piece of time and then we can travel nonstop until you know the money runs out and we go back. So it's what we've been doing and until my blog goes full-time and making me money, which would be nice sure. one day with traffic, <laughs> the podcast and everything, but. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, yeah, yeah, I hope, I hope so. But I do, <laughs> yeah. I, do I definitely think, uh, you know, you're super smart to be making that decision uh, because you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. And yeah. uh, frankly, you know, I, I've just met so many people that didn't think travel was something they wanted to do right now or something they were going to yeah. save until they retire, yep. which frankly is an American, like who's retiring now? Like who's, you know, there is luxury <laughs> yeah. in that and you, you don't yeah. know what tomorrow is going to bring. Uh, so, um, you know, just so many people um, I know have never gotten the opportunity uh, to go anywhere and explore um, uh, anywhere outside of their community because they're, they're putting mm-hmm. it off to another day. So, um, yeah, I would definitely say anyone take any opportunity, even if it means going by yourself, don't wait for your friends to have time off Don't Correct. wait for your partner to have time off. If you, you need to go by yourself, you've got time off, take it. Uh, and, um, don't wait because, um, you don't know if you're going to have another chance. Oh, absolutely. And the world's changing all the time. And what yeah, I feel like absolutely. I missed out on was what you mm-hmm. just said when it came to traveling without like, you know, without cell devices. Phones. You know, I kind (laughs) of missed that boat a little bit. The first time I went on a trip abroad, um, it was uh, to Barcelona, and that's before smartphones and GPS. I mean, like, smartphones were were new. This was, like, 2010, I think. Yeah, I I think it was 2010 uh, when I went, and I still had to use a map because I didn't have GPS on my phone to get around. The internet on your phone was still pretty expensive. You really couldn't do it. You didn't have, like, a data plan yet. And I only did a few trips like that. I wish I could have done more. And that's the thing about travel is when the world changes, so does kind of travel. It shifts yes. that way too. And I think I missed out on hanging out in hostels and not having that connection with your phone and the internet and just asking around. Like you have to ask, hey, how long have you been here for? You've been here for weeks. Oh, what's your favorite restaurant here, you know, in this city? And then you go talk to locals. What is, where do you like to eat and all that sort of stuff. And then you go on these adventures and you can still kind of do that. Sure. But now we're, we're doing, we're doing that. Yeah, absolutely. And and we are doing that digitally. I won't discount yeah. that. You know, the fact that you're talking on your blog about a trip <laughs> yeah. you're going to and somebody comments on it, or you're talking on Twitter or, you know, in, in the digital communities that we're in on TikTok, whatever, um, you know, we're, we're doing that stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, that's, that's great, but um, it is still really wonderful to talk to people in person. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And one of the things that we do now is uh, pub crawls when we go Uh to a new city. So that's one of our ways of connecting with people. 
um, that I think is really nice. And then, oh, it, I've had crazy stories about pup crawls. Like last year <laughs> we were in Warsaw and we just met another couple and they they lived in London and they said, hey, whenever you want to come to London, you can come stay at our place. And I told, wow. I, I, I told her, I'm awesome. like, yeah. I will take you up on it. Don't you can't say that to me without being 100% <laughs> sure Absolutely. that I because I will come for just that. And yes. we were actually, and here's the crazy part. So we were about to go though. And towards the end of our trip last year, we were going to go to London, but then the COVID numbers started to search really, really crazy. And the restrictions started to go back in place. So we decided not to, but they were, we asked them, they're like, yeah, yeah, we're ready for you. You, you can use it. Here's the best part is you can use our apartment <laughs> while we're traveling somewhere else. So oh, you have the whole apartment wonderful. to yourself. And, but they offered it up so freely, which was so crazy. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's uh, I mean, so many people I met at the hostel, um, you know, back at back at this time in Los Angeles at the hostel, so many people from around the world did that very thing. And uh, yeah, and I, I never, you know, admit have never taken anyone up on staying at their place, uh, actually, but I, you know, I have met up with people in uh, other parts of the world that we met during that time or that I met on other travels. Um, and so it is, it's, it, yeah, totally. You know, um, people are very generous. People that travel are good people <laughs> generally. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, you know, stay, stay con- connected to them. So, um, yeah, cause they can really broaden your experience of other parts of the world uh, by, you know, taking you into places and into neighborhoods and, um, that you wouldn't otherwise get to. So, totally. so I hope you guys will get to go back to London uh, very soon and uh, take them up on that offer. So. Yeah. And it's crazy too. What's nice about this podcast. It's, it's a bit selfish too, because I get to talk to people like you uh-huh. who've traveled. I get to, you know, get from their experiences and then they'll uh-huh. tell me about a great place. Um, and I'm like, okay, well, I think I'm going to go there now and I'll, I'll see you there. And then I, I show up, <laughs> you know, uh, like last, uh, well, two times last year, um, I interviewed um, Emma Radcliffe who lives in Granada, Spain. And she told me about Granada. I'm like, that sounds wonderful. And then I ended up going to Granada last year and then we hung out. We went on tapas, crawls. Oh, all yeah, I was going to say, I hope, I hope you did a tapas <laughs> crawl there. So, oh. cause that's my favorite thing about Granada. <laughs> oh, it was so great. You know, awesome. <laughs> and same thing in the, in Cascaish, there's a couple, uh, Sue and Diana and they like, Hey, I'm in, I'm in Lisbon. I'll take the train over to Cascaish and we will have dinner. And we did. It was great. You know? So it's really interesting to to me other travelers at least this way um, gives people a chance, but you don't know what you'll get yourself into, so it's fun. Yeah. So one one other tip. I mean, this is a little different, but um, this is a travel tip in a way that we have uh, traveled um, before with pets, um, because we we've done uh, house sitting uh, before. Oh. Or okay. we, no, we we've no, we've never done it as a house sitter because unfortunately as you know not full-time travelers our schedules are are uh a little too inflexible mm-hmm. uh, to be able to work with someone else's vacation schedule um you know we're traveling when it works for us and we're pretty rigid in in that um so it hasn't worked where we've been able to you know house sit for someone at a time that works for them but um we've used a website called trusted house sitters uh, a paid website oh, yeah. um that I, I think is worth the membership if you are able to get a house sit um a house sit or a house sitter. Uh, so we've used it to find house sitters uh, several times uh, to come stay at our place in the San Francisco Bay Area. People get a free place to stay in a very expensive part of California. Um, it's you know I'm not I'm not in you know San Francisco. I'm in downtown San Jose, so it's a little you know less convenient for you know people that really want to you know explore San Francisco. But we've had no problem uh, finding people that want to come to San Jose and um, uh, stay uh, for free and watch our cat 
yeah. <laughs> frankly, um, you know, super easy and, you know, they, they, they get a free place to stay. So um, that has worked That's out so really smart. well uh, with us. So. Can I pick your brain on that for a second? Because I was looking into that last year because parts of mm-hmm. Europe are very expensive. Uh, yeah. What are some tips you would have to be picked to sit, you know, someone's house and watch their pet? Um, be, especially if you're new, because I would have started off as new. There's a, there was a fee involved. So I'm like, I may not use this. I wasn't sure if I was going to use it. But um, so how, how would, what's the best way to make myself like, more likable to be picked. <laughs> totally, totally. No, I think that's a great question. Um, I think, you know, pet owners, uh, most of the people that are that are using this site are pet owners uh, okay. and they care about their animals. So um, we're looking for experience uh, for people that have had pets in the past. Uh, gotcha. so providing detail about the pets that you've owned in the past, uh, you know, and uh, you know smart. what, you know, how you're, you're comfortable. If you have experience with a senior, taking care of a senior pet, uh, uh, you know, giving, giving medications, mm-hmm. giving injections, you know, obviously some of that stuff, that high maintenance stuff we've never used with a house sitter. Like mm-hmm. I, I do think it, you might, it might be worth paying for a professional if your shot needs daily inject, your cat needs daily injections or something like that. Mm-hmm. And that's something, not something I've ever trusted to a house, house sitter, but seeing that someone has experience working, living with and working with animals. Um, I, I think there was, I think we had a pet sitter that was a vet tech once, um, which is amazing. Yeah, <laughs> Because absolutely. there's nothing uh, more confident, <laughs> more confident of uh, couples coming to live together. Um, I think mm-hmm. I, I have heard people say that men mm-hmm. traveling alone uh, don't get picked as frequently uh, as okay. women traveling alone or uh, couples uh, okay. traveling, um, you know, any, any couple of people, um, you know, obviously there's some, some bias involved in that. Uh, but, yeah. um, so, but if you are a couple, uh, uh, or in older, um, you're, you're going to be seen as more responsible. Uh, if you're younger, um, mm-hmm. you, know, you could be perceived obviously as being less responsible, but gotcha. I, it really comes down to, to pet care and trusting that people are really responsible pet owners and, and pet, pet caregivers. Um, um yeah, we've ta- seen reviews from, uh, people who have yeah, had, had friends or family members who have, um, who would vouch for their pet sitting ability, uh, mm-hmm. putting that in the reviews and saying that, oh, they they watched my and watched my senior cat for three weeks while I went out of town and, you know, went above and beyond and was staying in mm-hmm. contact with us, uh, regular communication, taking it to the vet, you know, we had you know, experience. So anything like that that you can share as long as it's honest um, is uh, is meaningful. Uh, so, okay. Yeah, I like yeah, it. Pet okay. Experience. That is actually really yeah. helpful. Um, because you know, my wife and I are definitely budget travelers. So I was finding ways to save money on accommodations, especially in Europe, especially expensive parts of Europe and expensive parts of the United States. It'd be kind of nice to, you know, hang out with uh, with a pet because we go we're we've been pet owners both our entire lives. So it's one of those things we would love to do for other people and hang out in a nice place. That's smart. Okay. Totally, totally. Yeah. And um a few more things too. Um, you mentioned that you speak a little Spanish. What started you learning Spanish? Um, and, um, what tips do you have for people who just want to begin that Mm -hmm. process? Yeah, well, uh, frankly, I I took four years of Spanish in high school and Mm -hmm. in, in upstate New York, uh, and learned almost nothing (laughs) (laughs) Uh, because I did, I didn't care about it. I didn't have any connection to it. Um, back at that time, uh, like, uh, like I said, um, I didn't see travel as something that I could ever do. Um, you know, I was in a not very diverse part of the country uh, where there weren't a lot of native Spanish speakers and, um, I, I didn't see travel international travel, especially as, as something that was really open to me. So I didn't care about it. I didn't connect with it. Uh, the people that I, I, I definitely remember my Spanish teachers and the people that really excelled in my classes were often 
the people that had the means to to travel around the world, whose family was going to take them on a vacation to Spain or to Costa Rica or something like that. Um, you know, people that, you know, had, they had connection, they had resources, but they also had a reason to want to learn the language. Um, I started studying Spanish again um, in Los Angeles when I moved there, um, you know, basically to communicate with my friends and my best friend and uh, her, um, her family and, uh, you know, people I was meeting there, the Mexican Americans I was meeting, uh, you know, in my community and to be able to go to uh, little uh, taquerias and uh, in mm -hmm. order and, uh, you know, and, and, <laughs> you know, connect with people. And it made such a difference uh, to be in a place uh, where you care about using the language. It makes, it makes sense. You can use it uh, <laughs> in restaurants frankly. Uh, you know, that's a little limited, but still it, um, it makes a difference. So um, I started studying. I took a couple classes at community college um, uh, down in Los Angeles. Um, that was really uh, made a difference. Um, I did do one. I've, I wanted to, to, to do more in an international language intensive program somewhere. Um, I did do one week in uh, the town of uh, Guanajuato in Mexico, mm -hmm. um, uh, which is a college town uh, in uh, outside of, I think Guadalajara is the, the nearest uh, big city to it. Uh, but um, yeah, I, I spent a week in uh, Guanajuato um, doing a language class. Uh, and uh, that was really wonderful and, and really helps to, to be immersed in, in a community. Um, I thought Guanajuato was great because it was such an international destination. It was a, it was a university town. Uh, so uh, a lot of the you know, I would go into a restaurant and, you know, even, you know, being a, you know, a clearly a foreigner, um, you know, people would speak to me in Spanish uh, because uh -huh. there were a lot of foreigners there, uh, frankly, as expats, and they were trying to speak Spanish. And, uh, you know, and they were just more, you know, I think a little more open minded to the fact that you might want to you might be there to learn or you might want to, you might speak a little Spanish or we're just forcing it on you, <laughs> which is <laughs> yeah. a good, which is a good thing. I, I think, uh -huh. that, I think that's good. So give, give you the option, give you the, um, when you have a, a need uh, to speak a language, uh, it really does make a difference. So, um, yeah, yeah I, I improved a lot. Um, I actually did. Um, one of the stories I'm always telling people is that I was with a, uh, a British traveler um, who um, was, was younger, um, you know, in her early 20s. She was on a round the world trip um, and had been in Mexico, I think, for six weeks and had done like four weeks of intensive language training in um, classes in San Miguel de Allende. Um, which is even more of a um, kind of an expat friendly, uh, you know, place, a lot of foreigners there. Uh, but it was very clear she hadn't really learned anything in the time. Oh, and no. it was really sad because she was just hanging out with, you know, other international travelers and speaking English all the time. And uh, even though she'd done four weeks of intensive language training, um, you know, and I had to push her, we were trying to push her to the first couple of days we were pushing her to speak when we were in town and yeah. uh, we we're like, Hey, Hey, do you want to, do you want to talk to the cab driver and you know, uh -huh. tell him, tell him where we're going or talk to the order at, a, at the restaurant. And she really, she was really shy and really didn't want to do it. But uh, I was like, <laughs> but we had to force her to, to do it. But then eventually I was like, I gave up and I was like, whatever, I'm here to learn language too. So I'm going to speak. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so I, I jumped in and, you know, it is really valuable. Uh, so if you have the yeah. opportunity to, to do uh, language classes in another country, um, uh, that's, that's really meaningful. Okay. I think I might try some of that because my wife and I have taken this opportunity since we're going to be in, you know, South America for the next five months to learn uh, Spanish as much as possible. And I've been on Duolingo and as well as uh, studying and Duolingo is nice because it helps you understand some grammar and sentence structure and then studying some you know, vocabulary on the side of like what things are is really helpful um, as well. 
but um that's good but there is no different you know there is no substitute for speaking in mm-hmm, person to people exactly. and getting outside of your, your, your comfort zone um, you know i still frankly you know use duolingo and, and try to study grammar and yeah. stuff like that but i i really do need Talking. to push myself to speak uh, to, to, to talk to people because uh, that that makes the biggest difference yeah so. well this is where my wife has done really well where she has been really taking charge of like talking to as many of uh-huh. the locals awesome. as possible. And <laughs> even if it's just broken, and this is what actually I'm a little bit upset about this, that they apologize to us for not speaking English. I'm like, no, no, you should not be apologizing. I'm sorry for not speaking Spanish well enough. You know, exactly. I'm here in your community. It is <laughs> yeah. on me to, to do, to do that. So yeah. Yeah. Totally. So, so yeah, the more, <laughs> the more times you can talk and what's nice about my wife and I both learning it. And she actually has a little bit more of a head start on it than I do uh-huh. is that we can try to talk to each other as much as we can about things and work through the grammar and the structure. And then we've been really trying to immerse ourselves more. And the thing that I'm kind of upset about with like Duolingo and apps now, it's, I kind of put it to her this way. Like, I wish I had done this years ago. And just whenever I'm in the bathroom, just on the toilet, I can just study Duolingo (laughs) for, for, you know, 10, 15 minutes, you know, whenever I'm doing that. And in a year or two, I could be conversationally fluent for the most part, you know? If I do that and just study my vocabulary, just think about like like fifteen minutes a day for for a year or two, and you're fluent in, in any language you want to. I'm like, man, this is like blowing my mind. <laughs> we, I mean, we have resources. We have so many more resources mm-hmm. to make uh, learning a language easier now. Uh, but you do it does take a commitment, and you do have to stick with it and do it a little bit every day. And and, a little uh, bit, you know, yeah. But, yeah. But yeah, we've got a lot of resources uh, to do it now. It's now we just need the the willpower and reminders to do it. So. <laughs> yeah. 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 I've been doing 30 minutes a day for like the past, I think I've done it for four or five weeks and it's just been so much better. And now I'm starting to understand some of the things that the waiters, you know, are, are saying to me or when people are asking me questions, you know, and so I'm like, it's starting to catch on a little bit and I'm excited to see where I am in six months and I'll let people know who are listening, you know, what it's like to try to learn Spanish. <laughs> With yeah, the and if classroom. you are able to, exactly, exactly. And if you are able to take a class somewhere, uh, share that experience and encourage people oh, uh, yeah. to do that. Because I, I think that is a really valuable uh, way to travel. So base yourself in a place and take classes. And, and, you know, that's a real great way to learn about the place too, mm-hmm. because you're in conversation with locals and you're in conversation with your instructors. They're going to tell you so much about their culture. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, things like, uh, things like that, taking you out for drinks, a uh, happy hour and stuff. I remember we did yeah. like a group, uh, group happy hour, uh, uh, one night and our, our whole language class and, and the teachers went out and had so much fun. And we learned a oh, lot yeah. about like the, the rock and Espanol, um, uh, eighties and nineties rock music that, <laughs> uh, right. that, that they all loved that the instructors loved. And I, I have such fond memories of that. So, uh, uh, so yeah. Totally. Well, anything that promotes more community. Again, like class is just another way of meeting other people. You can learn some of another language and then you just have more bonds to share with over time. Yeah. Yeah. And I know, you know, and I, we keep diverging from talking about food, uh, but I do think, you know, really the, the whole point of travel is is people and it is Correct. community. It's about learning about the rest of the world, learning about cultures, learning about people. That's at the root of it. Uh, travel, I mean, uh, food is a great way to connect people. It's, uh, you know, the portal. People love talking about the food uh, that Mm -hmm. they love. Uh, They love talking about now the recipes. Uh, People love sharing family recipes. Uh, 
you know, love, uh, you know, taking you to, and telling you about, about markets and, uh, you know, local places where they like to eat. Um, and that's really a huge um, you know, way to, mm-hmm. I, I feel like you're missing out a lot. Even if you're not a foodie, you don't consider yourself a foodie, you're not a very adventurous eater. Um, I, I feel like you are going to miss out a lot on the culture of a place if you're not talking to people about, about food. So yeah. I mean, food is a, is a window into to cultures and to places. Uh, following someone's recommendation oh, yeah. to a little restaurant that's going to take you to a neighborhood that you probably wouldn't go to otherwise. So things like that um, are so so valuable. So food's a conduit <laughs> yeah. uh, to yeah. community. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that. And people misunderstand that food isn't just about the process of eating and enjoying the yes. food, which is a huge part. But yeah, just like you said, it's just the gateway to the culture and all mm-hmm. sorts of adventures and people and connections. Totally. Well, then let's just go ahead and just dive into some food stories now. I'm interested to hear some of the amazing things you've eaten around the world. Yeah. So um, we mentioned uh, Japan uh, before, and I do think that uh, Japan is one of my favorite, uh, you know, uh, places in the world and also, uh, you know, one of my favorite food destinations. Um, Food is really serious business there. And um, I think that um, the the way of eating um, in Japan is really a window into the, the culture there. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, everybody strives for perfection in yes. the stuff that they're making <laughs> from the super fancy kaiseki, like multi-course meals that are just are so artfully prepared and individually uh, presented to you uh, to the little local ramen shops uh, where they make one thing and it's soup, uh, but it's wonderful. They're striving for perfection. Um, so um, I think that um, really everything there, um, you know, people are always uh, striving for uh, to uh, do the best that they can um, for their craft. Um, and it really shows how much hard work, um, you know, and service and, and trust and um, is, is a part of um, Japanese culture. Um, so, yeah. So I think that's a, a great place to to kind of experience that. So everything that you try, um, you know, you're you're going to get it from uh, uh, from someone who is mm-hmm. an expert in their craft, or they're striving to be an expert in their craft. So, what's like one Japanese dish that you really miss that you wish you could have like right now from Japan? Uh, always ramen, and I know. This is... <laughs> I keep, <laughs> no, I keep talking gonna... about that. I keep talking about that's this. Okay. <laughs> Frankly. So, so when you when you talk about dishes, um, I, like I said before, I am a veg, I am vegetarian. So, mm-hmm. um, so there are fewer like dishes that that really stand out to me. A lot of what I've what I've always said is, uh, I, I like food adventures, um, yeah. and it's not always a meal or it's not always you know a dish. Uh, sometimes it's just trying a new fruit at a market mm-hmm. or finding, you know, something weird at the convenience store that someone's selling <laughs> yeah. or, you know, seeing, you know, seeing, you know, uh, so, so some kind of street food or something like mm-hmm. that. So it's not always a meal for me, especially because a lot of this stuff, um, you know, is relatively off, off limits, even though I'm a very adventurous eater for being a vegetarian, um, you know, and I've been very successful at finding uh, stuff that is relatively um, meets my needs. I'm, I'm not yeah. incredibly strict about it. I'm not religiously vegetarian or anything uh, like that. So I, especially in Japan is, is a surprisingly, can be a surprisingly difficult place to eat mm-hmm. uh, because um, there is fish um, broth um, in everything, yeah. <laughs> in almost yeah. everything. So, so if you are religiously vegetarian or you know have a seafood allergy or something like that, that can be really challenging. Uh, so, uh, but um, 
but yeah, um, so yeah, I, I, I love, you know, my, my favorite thing, thing there was uh, always uh, the, the combinis, the little convenience stores um, so and uh, finding the variety of uh, like uh, interesting things that they sell at convenience stores. Uh, my favorite thing was always, and something I would always do to tide myself over uh, in between meals um, was uh, to get the little onigiri. Of course, uh, the yeah. Little rect- <laughs> triangular rice, rice, uh, rice balls. They're so delicious, and uh, you know I love the plum ones. The yes, I was going to say that. <laughs> like, the plum ones are one of the best ones. Pickle plum. Yeah. Oh. Pickle plum. I love it. I love it. So yeah, so that's wonderful. <laughs> Carrying those around uh, is a vegetarian lifesaver. So um, <laughs> yeah. So. Um, yeah, the, the ramen soups. We did find uh, places that um, uh, uh, that would do uh, vegetarian ramen. Uh, so, mm-hmm. in between uh, my, you know, husband's, uh, you know, we, we might go to like a local ramen shop for a tonkatsu pork ramen, but then afterwards we'd find a vegetarian uh, place for uh, for for me to eat, or I, I'd have a snack of something else, uh, you know, while he ate ate soup, and then another meal we would both eat vegetarian at like a vegetarian ramen shop because uh, there yeah. are, are are a lot of them, and I think um, Japan is actually in the last couple of years I've heard, especially in the lead up to the um, um, uh, the lead up to the Olympics, um, even though the pandemic had it closed down the whole time until last week um they it's a lot more of an easy it's it's easier to to be vegetarian or vegan mm-hmm. uh in um even if you're strict uh, about it or religiously uh, vegetarian it's easier uh, to do that in japan now i've heard uh, but um agreed yeah yeah um, I, I do remember like for example in ramen row in uh, the tokyo um uh subway uh, station uh there's this section of the uh, the uh there's a section of a hall um, that has something like 30 different ramen shops uh, there. And I believe there were two of them that were vegetarian. So um, I, I still have dreams of this uh, sweet potato broth, uh, thick, uh, creamy uh, broth uh, ramen um, mm. soup that I that I had there. It was absolutely delicious. And I've uh, tried to replicate it myself of, you know, American uh, ramen shops, the <laughs> California ramen shops yeah. that always have a vegetarian option. Yeah. Um, some of them have come a little close, but um they still haven't been as rich and as creamy of a broth as uh, as this one. So I totally, uh, I, I totally missed that. Yeah, ramen is a serious, serious game over in Japan. Mm-hmm. I had a guest on the podcast, and it's Brian McDuxton, and he's written books about ramen. He's lived over in Tokyo for a long oh, time awesome. now. And one of the things he talks about, he's eating thousands of bowls of ramen, thousands. Okay. <laughs> this is like, it's serious. Like it's crazy how much he's eaten over throughout all of Japan. Wow. But one of the things we talked about on the last time I had him on the show was what the Japanese call a BQ Gotame, which is like casual dining options that are still really, really good. And Ooh. how like pizza and like vegetarian options are are coming now, mm-hmm. you know, more popular. Yeah. And so we talked about that a little bit too. And wow, wonderful. Yeah, I'll have to listen excited. to that episode. I've, I've got to look for that episode. What's his name? Brian? Brian McDuxton. Yeah. McDuxton. He, uh, okay. Awesome. Yeah. Super good. He actually has like a live Twitch too, where he, you know, goes and eats bowls of ramen. So you can watch him on live eating bowls of ramen in Tokyo, which is really cool. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's, it's good that uh, you like Japan a lot. I think Japan for a lot of Americans is a good place to go. It's mm-hmm. a good entryway to a lot of Asia as well. It gets you introduced yeah. to some of the flavors, some of the cultural differences without yeah. being too far off because we've adopted, you know, parts of Japanese cuisine and um, they've actually adopted a lot of like Western cultures and customs in some ways, but not all. So it's a good way to kind of enter into it. 
and talking again about ramen, like that's not like a natively like the wheat noodles are, are not a native uh, part of uh, Japanese cuisine. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe it came from um, uh, the this noodle uh, tradition came from uh, China. Uh, so mm-hmm. um, it's, it's oh, yeah. a way that uh, Chinese uh, food influenced um, in, influenced uh, Japan. So. Oh yeah, like Chinese food has influenced like all parts of like uh, totally. Eastern Asia in, in some way, shape, yeah. or form. Uh, but it's oh, ramen is so good. Actually, it's one of the things I'm excited about here in Peru is that surprisingly mm-hmm. they have a huge Japanese influence, which happened. Goodness, there's a huge immigration push. Ah. Yes, in the, the mid chifa. of the 20th century. Yes, yes yeah. the chief chief food. Uh, yeah, really, really fantastic. Uh, you know, Asian, uh, uh, Asian Latin American uh, fusion. Uh, yeah, uh, but but really like deeply part of uh, Peruvian uh, food. Like this is not something that Correct, people yeah. consider. People in <laughs> Peru consider something that's foreign. It's deeply part of uh, of their uh, native cuisine, uh, but but definitely influenced by uh, <laughs> Asian ingredients. So. Yeah, I love ramen so much. Oh, it's just one of the things. I had a really went to a really good ramen shop in Mexico City. It was Ooh, phenomenal. Wow. They did such a good job. <laughs> they had good Wonderful. sushi. Yeah, and oh. one of the things they had there, they had freshly ground wasabi, which I have not seen oh. in very many places. And in this small little uh, neighborhood, um, I, I stayed in San Rafael in Mexico City, and I loved it. And there was, uh, yeah, just this ramen Japanese place, freshly ground wasabi if you want to order it and just like so good. Anyways, <laughs> I digress. <laughs> that's great. So, uh, <laughs> on, on that note, I would recommend for anyone uh, that's that's uh, traveling to Japan and is a, a food lover, um, the, the, a book that I recommend is called, um, it's a couple of years old now, but it's called Rice Noodle Fish. Uh, and it's written uh, by one of the founders of uh, Roads and Kingdoms, um, which is a, an all culinary uh, travel um, publication. Um, this was back, um, I think, uh, Anthony Bourdain actually wrote the intro to it. Uh, wow. And um, it's part of a series of a couple of different uh, food travel books um, that this um, these folks did. Uh, but um, I really love that one. I actually need to buy another copy of it because we loaned it to someone and I don't have it anymore. But um, but yeah, that was kind of what spurred the Fukuoka mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> Fukuoka adventure. Like we're like, oh well, hey, we've got a J Rail Pass. We can just hop on the uh, Shinkansen and go to uh fukuoka for the day uh, to eat soup uh so yeah that, you know, that was really such a memorable travel experience for us to go and uh, explore that city you know through uh its noodle soups uh, and that was something i learned about uh, in that book so uh, yeah that it dives deep into rice noodles and fish uh, the three uh, kind of core uh, components of um of japanese food so now i'm gonna read it <laughs> It's great. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. There's an Italian um, one and there's a Spanish one too, oh. uh, I believe. So, um, uh, yeah, one about Spain and uh, Italy as well. So, um, w- I do want to touch on one more place, um, maybe one more destination that really impacted you that you really loved and you had just an amazing food. One other destination. Um, Italy, I would, yeah, I would say Italy. It's, it's super cliche to say that, but, no. um, I, I do, I do think that, um, you know, Italy is a, is a, is a country that is, is also very diverse and the types of food are, are very different in different regions of, of the country, um, judging from, from their long history is being really segmented and really into like villages. Um, so, so the food is pretty diverse all around the, the country. Um, we visited, um, the, the region of, um, of Tuscany uh, and Emilia Romagna, um, yes. which is a wonderful food destination. <laughs> They've got they're getting a ton of press these days, um, yeah. uh, and yeah. I, I love it. Totally warranted. Uh, 
uh, because, uh, yeah, they're just such an amazing uh, kind of the, the bread basket or mm-hmm. know, whatever you would call it of uh, <laughs> of Japan uh, because or, uh, Italy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because so much uh, a lot of a. Uh, uh, food is produced there so mm-hmm. um we visited a like a, a prosciutto de, de modena uh, a prosciutto maker and a, a dairy farm that makes um uh oh god what type of cheese the hard aged cheese parmesan reggiano Parmig- yeah par- yeah yeah parmesan reggiano uh we uh, uh, producers visit a dairy farm that makes that uh we visit an acha achataria I think is the way you say it. Um, mm. a, an all, a, uh, balsamic vinegar producer. <gasps> oh yeah. That's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. And that's probably the one food experience. If you're going to do any, have any food experience in, um, especially in, in Emilia Romagna, cause it's not something you can do in other parts of the country, uh, visit a, a balsamic vinegar producer. Even if you're not into balsamic, uh, vinegar uh, here in the U S or wherever you're from, it's a whole different, uh, world uh, the kinds of aged, um, crafted, uh, kind of sweet syrupy balsamic vinegars mm-hmm. um, that they um, that they make there. Uh, some of them having been aged for you know, 25 years or more. Um, it's uh, amazing, and there's there's so much um, you know flavor that is packed into um, a tiny amount of this, this syrup. Um, so uh, that is absolutely amazing. I mean, you, you can drizzle it on a vanilla ice cream is, is the best <laughs> way to enjoy the best way to enjoy that because it's what? just, it's uh, amazing. Amazing. Cause yeah, it's a little, you know, cause it's a little sour, but sweet and um, you know, pungent and has like earthy uh, flavors uh, to it. Um, so it's really, really wonderful. Um, so yeah. Yeah. I'm actually dying to spend some time in Emilia Romagna. I went to Rome a few years ago and it wasn't as good as what I was expecting. I definitely had some amazing food there for sure. But to spend some time in Emilia Romagna would be one of my dream trips to eat my way through a couple of different cities. And when you said balsamic vinegar, you know, I'm like, oh, that's on the top of my list. Actually, uh, opening a really nicely aged wheel of Parmigiano Reggiano, and then uh, trying some very good old, wonderfully aged balsamic vinegar, and yeah, those like, and the it, olive oils. The olive oils oh, are so much different than anything produced there. Even yes. the cheap, the cheap crappy olive oil that they put on like the table at any little restaurant is Delicious, a world sure. away from anything uh, that you can find in like an artisan olive oil shop here in the U.S. So, <laughs> yeah. Love that. It's it's kind of sad how that, that happens that yeah. way. Uh, well, <laughs> it I don't know. I, I'm thinking back to my time in Italy and some of the mm. foods that I had, but I don't know, those artisanal things that are hard to come mm-hmm. by that mm-hmm. require that human touch, that human yeah. eye, that experience over time to make something well-crafted is mm-hmm. what interests me the yes. most. And even... Yeah, the olive oil, when you said that, I'm like, yeah, oh, yeah. Those, like, simple things I'm yes. looking forward to. Did you have a chance to try a Parmesan wheel that was just opened by any chance? Yes. In fact, um, we, you know, did. We tasted some uh, uh, Parmesan cheeses at the uh, dairy that we went to um, in, the, in their little uh, shop. Um, we did a tasting there. Uh, but mm-hmm. also at the food, at a, you know, we rented a car in Tuscany and drove around mm-hmm. uh, for a couple of days. Uh, there and um, we just stopped at a little 
farmer's market and uh, any little Italian local market uh, where uh, local people are going to buy uh, their produce and their cheeses and their meats, mm-hmm. um, any, any of those. I mean, absolutely markets are my favorite way of seeing a place anywhere in the world uh, by far, uh, going to local farmer's markets, um, a local uh, produce markets, even down to grocery stores, uh, seeing local grocery stores and, you know, chain chain stores, you know, wherever people are buying food in a community, um, that's where I, I, I want to go and I want to explore that a little bit. Um, and the farmer's markets in Tuscany, I remember we went to uh, one, I think in the Chianti, um, Chianti region, um, and uh yeah and and just and saw there you know he uh the cheesemonger there hacked off uh like a, a bit of a you know parmesan for us for our order like and he opened a new wheel so we got uh. to see him cracking into the new wheel and i was like oh and it's just no big deal this is just the way that you know the way people are coming and he's got mm-hmm. this giant wheel in his uh in his stall that he's uh cracking into so <laughs> amazing and i think mm-hmm. the freshly opened parmesan wheel just Mm -hmm. it tastes different yeah um i did not have an italian experience with this i was at Mm -hmm. whole foods in the united Uh states and they were Uh opening a parmesan wheel i was just watching this guy do it and it was like so cool and and he goes he breaks off a chunk he goes hey do you want some i'm like yes (laughs) and i remember it's one of the most surprising food moments where yeah. It was like fruity. It was very aromatic. It was wonderful. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't imagine if it was like a better wheel, you know, if it was yeah. aged more and like what it would have been like if it was a higher quality, you know, wheel of cheese. But it's crazy. Yeah. Like, but frankly, you can have them. those moments here. Exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, some of those things are, you know, they are uh, open to us here in the U.S. if you're open-minded and just understanding that, you know, yes, a, a, a wheel of cheese that they're opening right now is going to, you know, be much more flavorful than something that is shaved and in the refrigerator and has been in the refrigerator for weeks or months. Um, yeah. You know, so, yeah, totally. Oh, goodness. Okay. Well, I'm two so good hungry. places. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm like, my mouth is drooling. I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> All right. Um, well, let's move on. I want to hear about your new book and what inspired you to write it. Yeah. So a couple of years ago. So um, like I said, I'm the author of a, a book called Secret San Jose, A Guide to the Weird, Wonderful, and Obscure. Uh, so that was a, a book um, that I got the opportunity to write uh, a couple of years ago that came out in 2000 uh, at the beginning of the, um, or wait, sorry, 2020 at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, and um, that was something that I got the opportunity to write um, because the publisher, um, it was one book in a series of other books um, and uh, the publisher Reedy Press um, uh, got my name recommended uh, by the local visitors bureau. They, they were uh, looking for a possibly, um, you know, a, a local writer in San Jose, California. Um, the, the 10th biggest city in the U S uh, but not a city that a lot of people uh, write about from a travel perspective. Uh, so they were looking for a local travel writer uh, that had experience uh, writing about the city. Um, so I got, um, you know, they, they made me the offer to write that book and I was super excited and, um, yeah, and, and, and love it. I'm very proud of it. Um, because it was a, a book that allowed me to share 85 different off the beaten path uh, kind of uh, destinations uh, here in my community, um, which is a city that people really don't talk about, uh, even within the Bay Area. San Francisco gets all of the attention all the time, uh, you know, which is 
you know, <laughs> understandable. Yeah, it's a wonderful yeah. city, a wonderful city. Uh, but um, San Jose is a pretty great place to live too, and a really diverse community. And um, I, uh, so yeah, I was excited to be able to share adventures um, here. Um, the second book um, is another uh, book through the same publisher, um, and it's called San Jose Scavenger, and it's a collection of local uh, scavenger hunts. Um, in different communities um, uh, across um, the South Bay right here in the San Jose area. So it features 20 different uh, walking routes um, mm -hmm. and photographs of places and a clue written in rhyme uh, to help oh, draw you to these places. <laughs> so uh, each of the routes has uh, anywhere from eight to 20 or sorry, eight to 40 uh, different sites um, that you can go and try to, it challenges you to, to go out and explore and find these places. Um, the photo will be a, a corner of a building or a, a piece of a sign or something zoomed in, uh, you know, on a, uh, uh, you know, a, a public monument or something like that. Uh, and then the rhyme challenges you to go find that place. Uh, okay. So there's 20 of those routes all around our community. And I hope people have fun exploring um, our community with it. Uh, that book will be out in uh, just a couple weeks, any day now I'll, I'll find out from the publisher that they've gotten it in. So. All right. Is it okay if you like give us a taste and tell us one of your favorite places that you've written about in, in the book? Yeah, absolutely. So one, one of the yeah. yeah, one of the stories I often share, and this was in secret San Jose. Um, one mm -hmm. of my favorite local secrets is um, the Vietnamese Buddhist temples that are in our community. Oh that okay. um, are open on Sundays that have the street food opening, like a street food stall set up every Sunday. Um, so this is a really wonderful way to explore um, Vietnamese food traditions um, in a really you know, authentic manner here in, uh, in our community. Uh, San Jose has the largest, um, um, po largest uh, population of Vietnamese people, the largest uh, Vietnamese community outside of any city outside of the Vietnam. Uh, so, uh, wow, yeah, huge, huge Vietnamese, uh, huge Vietnamese community here and, um, a lot of really wonderful Vietnamese food. So, and um, there are these local Buddhist temples, some of which are really beautiful and extravagant and similar to, um, as any that you might visit in Asia, um, that open their doors, um, uh, up on every Sunday, uh, for, uh, people to come and uh, buy food and all of the food that they're selling at these uh, little, uh, uh, pop-ups are, uh, fundraisers for the temple and uh, the work that um, the, the monks or nuns are doing at the temple. Uh, so there's one um, uh, in particular, uh, the Duke Vien Buddhist Community Pagoda here in San Jose that is a really beautiful, extravagant uh, Buddhist temple. It's the largest um, temple in Northern California run entirely by nuns, uh, run entirely by women. Uh, and uh, it's a really beautiful place, and the food is uh, wonderful, all vegetarian, all vegan. Uh, uh, so, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, totally yeah. Uh, a really wonderful uh, way. Uh, people, you know, most, most of the people in our community, unless you're Vietnamese, unless your family goes to the temple, um, uh, a lot of folks in our community don't know about this. And it's a really wonderful way of uh, exploring uh, Vietnamese culture and food uh, right here in our city. Amazing. Is there a certain Vietnamese dish that you know that they serve? that you really like? 
Um, their soups are really wonderful. Um, I'm a big fan of their actually Vietnamese desserts. Uh, the, oh, yeah. the che, uh, che. the che, it's, it's called <laughs> the puddings, uh, you know, which is a kind of an all encompassing term for a, a wide variety of, uh, uh, different, um, usually coconut milk based, uh, puddings, um, but they include mm -hmm. all kinds of uh, sweet ingredients like red bean and, um, other, uh, types of sweet bean, um, jelly, uh, you know, fruit, uh, fruit pieces and be beans and things like that. Um, it's really hard to describe, but really delicious. Um, so <laughs> they're really beautiful, like, um, in texture and they're not overly sweet. Uh, it's a nice balance of, um, um, a lot of times there's a, like a salted, um, crumble that's drizzled on these, um, I believe in uh, Vietnamese uh, desserts, um, the sweet and salty go together <laughs> and uh, they come, to, they come together. So, um, uh, and they really complement each other well. So uh, that is, that's one of my favorite uh, Vietnamese um, uh, places. Yeah. Like, there are actually quite a number of uh, Che uh, little um, pudding shops all around the San Jose that I love. So. Uh, Perfect. Well, I think that, brings us to a close for our interview. And I, I know our audience would love to follow up with you, read more of your books and even adventure through the archives of your blog. Um, sure. What is the best way for them to follow you and read about all the things that you are doing? Sure. So you can find out uh, I'm most active right now on uh, my uh, secretsanjose.com. Uh, that's my website for both of my uh, local Bay Area book projects, um, as well as my uh, uh, I'm on Instagram at Secret San Jose on Instagram <laughs> and across the social medias. Uh, I'm uh, on Twitter and um, on Instagram, even though I'm not as active on my personal account at uh, Cass Kuiper, C-A-S-K-I-F-E-R. And my travel blog is um, Ever in Transit, um, which is everintransit.com. I'm so excited to continue traveling and I'm excited to go back to Mexico one day and goodness, just like I said at the end, to go back to Italy and try eating my way through Emilia Romagna would be just like so fun. Uh, oh goodness, so many different things and so many fun stories and I hope this gets you excited um, to try something new, to go on an adventure and say yes to more experiences and to connect with people. I just love how Cassie really understands and is communicating that food is a way for us to understand and connect with each other. From all the places that she's traveled and all of her experiences, that is the, I guess, pinnacle lesson, I think, for her and also for me. And goodness, I think a lot of people too. That's one of the reasons why we travel. Is we figure out more about ourselves. We learn more about other people. And there's a genuine connection with our environment and understanding a new culture. I hope you take the time, learn a little bit of a new language, you know, just spend that time, just go on, when you're on the toilet, just, just start going through Duolingo, start understanding a few things. And over time, you can learn something really amazing and surprise some of your friends. And when you travel to these countries that have these languages, you can be a little bit more comfortable and make some better connections. A lot of different things we've talked about, but I hope that you picked out a few golden nuggets there that you can take with you and learn and hopefully use that to book your next trip. For all the show notes, all the links to Cassie and all of her social media, all of her websites, her books, and a few extra links that are applicable to the things that we've talked about today, go to nomadicfoodist.com slash secret San Jose. That's nomadicfoodist.com slash secret San Jose, all one word. For all the show notes to this page and everything that we've talked about. One more thing. 
If you liked this episode, please hit that follow button on the device that you're listening to, on the platform that you're listening on, and you will have a brand new episode every single week with new adventures, new stories, and new tips from travelers and experts from around the world. Thank you again for listening today. I really appreciate it. And I hope that all of these stories encourages you to travel just a little bit more and eat some amazing food. Just remember, eat with an adventurous heart no matter where you go. Yeah.